This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. The Holy Spirit continues to set hearts on fire with the love of Christ and inspire people to bring the good news to a world that is aching to hear it. Welcome to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. Now, here's your guide on this grand adventure, Catholic singer, songwriter, author, and speaker, Miriam Marston. And welcome back to Blazing the Trail here on Mater Dei Radio. I am your host, Miriam Marston. And as always, it's great to be able to spend a little time with you each week as we take a closer look at the evangelizing mission of the church. And in this time together, I actually want to pick up where I left off in an episode I recorded back in the fall of 2022. Now, at that time, I reflected on the call to holiness, and I mentioned near the end of that episode that I looked forward to the opportunity to explore the Beatitudes with you in a future episode. And well, my friends, the future is now. We're going to revisit this call to holiness, this universal vocation, and then we'll look at the roadmap that Jesus gives us to respond to this call. And since we are talking about the primary call of the Christian life and what that might look like in the day-to-day, I thought, why not start with a song entitled The Call? The following song is based on a 17th century poem by George Herbert, and it's just a joyful invitation to draw close to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's a line in there that says, Come, my joy, my love, my heart, such a joy as none can move. This joy as none can move, this kind of joy goes far beyond the kind of fleeting contentment we might feel after a really nice day. This is the joy that flows from the Holy Trinity, from the Paschal mystery, from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It is our Lord who offers us this unshakable, unmovable, and ultimately eternal joy. This is what He promises when He invites us to come and to follow Him. So here is The Call, which was performed and produced by my sister and brother-in-law, Joelle and Nicholas Schall, and then we'll start making our way through the Beatitudes and explore how they create pathways of holiness on this side of heaven.
Back in 2004, I moved to Oxford, England, and one of my close friends from college came to visit me for a week, and it was great fun. Uh, We saw a number of sites, uh, mostly staying in the southern part of England, and one of the things on our list to see were the famous cliffs of Dover, where on a clear day you can see right across the channel into France. Um, I had seen pictures of these cliffs and they just looked magnificent. And so my friend and I decided we would get on a train to Dover um, after we'd spent part of the day in Canterbury and um, we arrived at our destination. Now, I had naively thought that we'd get out of the train and those famous cliffs would just be waiting for us. But nope, the station was in the middle of the city of Dover and the cliffs were nowhere to be found like nowhere. And we couldn't find any signs. We just had no idea where to go. And honestly, the daylight was fading and we were going to run out of light pretty soon. So we just started asking around, how do we get to the cliffs? Finally, some kind and patient locals pointed us in the right direction. And we eventually climbed our way to the top of the cliffs just before sunset. And the view was just breathtaking. I'm only sorry we didn't get there sooner because we could have done some walking along the coastline, but as it was, we had to turn around pretty quickly. But again, it was a stunning sight. Seeing the gentle evening light cut across the chalk-white faces of the cliffs, which contrasted splendidly with the blue of the English Channel. Now, why do I mention this little trip? Well, I knew that I had been promised a beautiful sight. I had heard about these cliffs, and they sounded worth seeing and experiencing. But as it turned out, I just didn't know how to get there. Likewise, we have been promised something beautiful in the Christian life. But we need to grow in our understanding of what that beautiful promise is. And honestly, we're going to need some help getting there. Maybe even a lot of help. So what is the beautiful thing we are journeying towards? It's heaven. It's life with God. It's a life of holiness. Now, before we go any further, it is really important to reflect on the source of any and all holiness. And that is not our actions. It's not our effort. It is God. We can only be holy because it is God who is holiness and who is at work in our lives. He is the one who mercifully takes the initiative, and we can use our free will to say yes or no to the movement of grace in our hearts. Now, in a similar vein, we can think of Jesus as the primary evangelist. He ultimately is the one who changes lives and converts souls. So the source of any and all evangelization, then, is to be found within the Holy Trinity. Our job is simply to provide a channel through which God can do His good work. And just to help bring this point home, I'd like to share with you two stories of lives that were transformed by Jesus. The first comes from the life of servant of God, Jacques Fesch. He was raised in um, an atheist environment. He led a very wayward life in France. And um, during a botched robbery, he ended up killing a police officer. And this led, of course, to his arrest, and he was sentenced to death by guillotine. But while in prison, he had a conversion experience, a real encounter with God. And before his execution in 1950, he wrote a letter to his mother, which included the following words. May your love draw down upon you the mercy of the Lord, and may he let you see that within your soul a saint is sleeping. I shall ask him to make you so open and supple that you will be able to understand and do what he wants you to do. Your life is nothing. 
It is not even your own. Each time you say, I'd like to do this or that, you wound Christ, robbing Him of what is His. You have to put to death everything within you except the desire to love God. This is not at all hard to do. It is enough to have confidence and to thank the little Jesus for all the potentialities He has placed within you. You are called to holiness, like me, like everyone. Don't forget. Again, that was written by a man on death row who was writing a letter to his mother shortly before his execution. The next story comes from Venerable Madeleine Delbrel, who I've quoted before on this show. Madeleine was raised by parents who weren't especially religious, and by age 15, she declared herself an atheist. She wrote an atheist manifesto entitled, God is Dead, Long Live Death. She really embraced the rebellious spirit of the 1920s. Uh, She studied philosophy in Paris. She was engaged to an atheist philosopher. But all of this began to crumble when her fiancé broke off their engagement so he could join, of all things, the Dominican order. And one thing after another, and she found herself turning to a god that she wasn't even sure existed. So she prayed out of desperation, and this began her journey of conversion to Christianity. She wrote, By reading and reflecting, I found God. But by praying, I believed that God found me, and that He is a living reality, and that we can love Him in the same way that we can love a person. These two stories, and there are so many other stories like this, they make it exceedingly clear that at the heart of Christian faith is an encounter with a person and not just an idea. Pope Benedict XVI summed it up like this, Being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person, which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. So this person who changes everything, this person of Jesus, he wants to decisively move us in the direction of holiness, of becoming a saint. And because he doesn't want us to have to figure this out all on our own, he has plenty to share with us about how best to advance in the life of discipleship. Most notably, he gives us the Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes are found in both Matthew and Luke, but we're going to focus on the Gospel of Matthew today. Specifically, we turn to chapter 5, to the Sermon on the Mount. This is actually the longest teaching of Jesus that we find in the Gospel, and it begins this teaching with the Beatitudes. But let's just start with the imagery of the mountain. It was actually an earlier guest on this show, Joan Watson, who pointed this out in her presentation that I attended. That in the Old Testament, Moses came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, the heart of Jewish law, which God gave to his people so that they could live faithfully. And that would set the stage for what Jesus does centuries later, when instead of coming down the mountain, he goes up the mountain, and the crowd then follows him going up the mountain as well. And it is there that Jesus, who is the final revelation of the Father, gives us the fulfillment of the law and invites us to move higher into the adventure of divine love and life. You might have already realized that we read the Beatitudes each year on All Saints Day on November 1st. And why is that? Because this is the stuff that saints are made of, what Pope Francis calls the Christian's identity card. And as you know, this show is all about evangelization, and the key to evangelization is authentic Christian witness. 
And how do we witness to the faith? By daily living out the Beatitudes. So let's dive in. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I have seen this beatitude lived out in men and women who seem to have all the time in the world when they are talking to others. They might, in fact, be very busy, but they somehow have made room for others in their life. I don't know about you, but we are tempted to move from point A to point B, always on to the next thing. Maybe we're distracted by our phone or other devices. In other words, we're not really being present to the person who is in front of us. But poverty of spirit, this means simply leaving so much room for God, and by extension, leaving room for others. To be poor in spirit is to be emptied of our own agendas and desires and expectations, and to be filled with the desire for God and for what God desires for our life. This requires a radical dependency on the Holy Spirit, the humility to put God first and center in all things. It means rejecting those things that might give us a false sense of security. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we each have those things, these things that we turn to before we turn to God. You know, years ago, I once heard um, someone say on Catholic radio that he who humbles himself shall be exhausted. Now, she meant to say exalted, but she said exhausted. Um, But I think there is still some truth in how she said it. Because, yes, the steadfast effort to turn away from me and my own desires and to turn to God and to others, that can be exhausting at times. But Jesus promises us a more lasting happiness when we turn to the one who offers us far, far more than any material objects or earthly attachments can provide. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is a tough one, isn't it? How can those who mourn be blessed, be happy? And I don't pretend to have any easy things to say here, but I know that we can meditate on the Lord's passion and we remember how He walks with us through suffering, through death. So there is a blessedness, a comfort, when we recall the presence of Jesus in our grief, in our lowest moments, just knowing that He has been there before. And we will certainly encounter those who are in the midst of mourning. Pope Francis tells us that we must not look away from suffering, but rather we must see the world for what it truly is. And often that means looking into the eyes of people who are hurting, who are grieving. So the question here is, can we be the face of Christ to others in those situations? It doesn't mean we have to have all the right words to say or the perfect gift or the perfect card, but rather, how can we accompany people along their own way of the cross? How can we reflect, even in a very small way, the presence of Jesus in these most difficult moments? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, this is one I struggled with because originally I thought that to be meek, I'd have to be something of a doormat. And I did not like this prospect of people walking all over me. Um, But I was confusing it with weakness or helplessness. But really, meekness is a strength. It is strength that is at the service of our God. This is why we can turn to Mary as the the one who was the meekest, but actually we're calling her the one who had the most strength because she was the one who had the fortitude to be able to say, be it done unto me according to thy word. 
So Pope Francis describes this as an expression of that interior poverty of those who put their trust in God alone. One of my favorite devotions is the divine mercy, and the refrain of divine mercy is, Jesus, I trust in you. Now that is meekness. Instead of saying, Jesus, I trust in me. Instead of saying, I don't trust in your strength, Lord, I trust in my strength. But we can never forget that God is holding the entire world, the entire universe together. He's got us all in the palm of his hand. I remember years ago, I was on a walk with my nephew, and we were talking about this, about how God is holding everything in the palm of his hand. And my nephew looked up to me with a wide-eyed look, and he says, even the lava? And I responded, even the lava. God isn't afraid of lava. He's not afraid to hold all the stuff that we want to run away from. So what are some ways that we can live out this meekness? We can start by regularly reciting just the four words from the Our Father, Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Or we can be like St. Joseph who said nothing at all, but he responded to God's call with astounding meekness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, I'm sure many of you have had the experience of of watching kids who are playing just fine, and then all of a sudden, they throw their hands up and collapse on the ground, and they announce that they're starving, and they can't do anything until they've had something to eat, even though they might have had a snack maybe like 25 minutes before. But they have this all-consuming hunger, and they can't do anything until it's been satisfied. So let's think about this in terms of the beatitude, this all-consuming hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice. And we can think of holy men and women who have experienced a similar intensity when it comes to desiring justice and righteousness. They have this longing for right-ordered relationships with God and with each other. So that could be a question for us today. What are we hungering for today? Is it just food? Um, Is it media or distraction? Or do you experience a kind of physical hunger for holiness, an ache for heaven, a hunger to see the world set ablaze with love of God, to see all people marching forward towards the kingdom? Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. One of my favorite lines by Pope Francis is that we need to think of ourselves as an army of the forgiven. And instead of carrying swords and shields, we rush into battle armed with forgiveness. When we know that we've received the mercy of God, then we can go out into the world to be an instrument of that mercy to others. And over and over again, this cycle of mercy repeats itself. And we know that our world is crying out for healing, for mercy. So what are even the small ways that we can bring that spirit of reconciliation to our daily life? Is there perhaps an apology that needs to be made or perhaps accepted? Is there a shadow that hasn't been dispelled or perhaps a hardness in our hearts where we haven't really let God in? Let us be the ones to build this momentum of mercy all around us. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. So here I want to turn to almost page one of the Bible. Just a few chapters in, during the creation account, we hear how God looked at everything He'd made and He saw that it was good. 
So my question is, is are we able to look around us with that lens of Genesis and recognize the goodness of creation? And above all, can we look at other people through the lens of this beatitude? Before we say a word to others, before we we begin an argument or a debate or just an interaction, can we pause for just a moment before the other person and, if only ever interiorly, say, it is good that you exist. That, I believe, is the beginning of purity of heart. Just saying, it is good that you exist. It is good that God created you. I always say that the real test of this is when someone cuts me off in traffic and I can say to that person, um, while I'm alone in my car, while no one's listening, it is good that you exist. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. It's no secret that we often live at odds with each other. Uh, Pope Francis calls us to be artisans of peace, and he says that it takes serenity, creativity, sensitivity, and skill. And we know, right, that that a culture of peace begins right in the home of our own heart, that place where the baptized person can have confidence that he or she has become a new creation in Christ, that fact alone can bring a lot of peace and serenity. You know, I'm I'm always struck when we read the stories of the saints, how so many of them just had a really strong spiritual intuition about what to do next, where to go next. They moved with such confidence and peace. And we see that in many of these stories, they're able to go into places that no one else really wants to. And I think that holy men and women are able to enter these dark and difficult places of the world because their hearts are are flooded with the light of Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. You and I are called to be instruments of peace in the world, instruments of the Holy Spirit, pointing others to God. Think of the image of an arrow. Are we arrows that wound, that hurt, that disrupt the peace? Or are we arrows that point to the one who is perfect peace, our Lord? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As Pope Francis says it, accepting the daily path of the gospel, even though it may cause us problems, that is holiness. Now, I might have told this story before, but a few years ago at uh, the Stations of the Cross, I was standing next to my nephew and he was getting really fidgety, um, but just at the point where I thought he was really not paying attention, he looks up at me and says, if Jesus hadn't died on the cross, then the cross would be like any other shape. And it's true that we don't look at the cross like we do other shapes, like a circle or a triangle. The very shape of the cross is just filled with meaning for us. It shows us the depths of God's love. And we see also that the kingdom awaits us on the far side of the cross. You know, at no point in the gospel are we promised an easy path. Jesus makes it clear that following him will challenge society. There's a point where he says, you know, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. That's what he says. So, you know, being a disciple of Christ can make us look a little ridiculous in the eyes of the world. But I would say that even that ridiculousness can catch someone's attention. And that can serve as a moment of evangelization. That's a way to be a herald of holiness, a herald of the good news. 
My friends, this week, maybe you can sit with the Beatitudes and read through them a few times. And is there one that stands out in a new way, something that you can commit to? And if possible, find someone who can walk with you in this. Remember, we aren't desert island disciples. It is within the realm of community, of relationship, where we grow in holiness. So let's do this together. And yes, once you throw a group of people together, things can get messy and maybe a little unpredictable and frustrating. But if we're not ready to live within some sort of community, then we'll be disappointed to learn that heaven is perfect community. It is communion, the joy of abiding in the life of the Holy Trinity. That perfect exchange of love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that is what we are being called to, invited to, drawn to. So as we say yes to the call to holiness in our lives, let's not forget that it comes with saying yes to loving our neighbor. It is good that they exist. It is good that you exist. Now let's get to the work of letting God work in us and through us. Let's go do our part and evangelize by living according to the Beatitudes, and God will do the rest. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Miriam Marston, and I hope you'll join me next time as we continue to reflect on the many ways that we can be instruments of faith, hope, and love in our world. Until then, stay well and stay close to Christ. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. For more information on Miriam Marston and her work, plus an archive of our past shows, visit us online at matradayradio.com or download the Hail Mary Media app. Blazing the Trail is produced at the studios of Matraday Radio in Portland, Oregon. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.